Welcome uh, to our 10th Instagram Live episode. Um, we're so glad you're here. If you're tuning in live, um, then you know that there's a thunderstorm happening right now. So if you hear some thunder, that's what it's from. Pretty fun. I always love a nice thunderstorm. We need it. All right, so welcome everyone to our 10th Instagram Live episode. Um, it has been so fun to see how those, um, how these have just developed over the summer. Um, I've personally loved to get to share this space with our teachers this summer. Um, I've learned a lot and been really encouraged and I hope that you have too. Um, so thank you for tuning in um, and listening. So for those of you who don't know me, um, my name is Alyssa. I'm the Communications Director at Redemption Hill. Um, and today we are going to welcome back in Robert. Um, after a little break, we are finishing up our liturgy series, um, The Work of the People, where we've been going through our core values that we hold as a church. Um, and this last Sunday, we um, talked with Robert about our 13th core value of simplicity. So on Sunday, uh, Robert walked through Jesus' teachings on money and possessions in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, encouraging us into a life of deep dependence on Jesus' abundance that connects us with God and others, rather than harboring an isolating mentality of scarcity. And today, we are going to talk a little bit more about that. So we're just going to get Robert in here, and then we'll get rolling. Give it a second. I always wish this would go faster. Okay. There we go. Hey. Hi there. How you doing? Doing good. How are you doing? Good. Are you getting this huge thunderstorm? Yeah, I just it just came started right now. Yeah, it's crazy. So loud. Yeah. Alright, how's it going? Oh, I'm home. I got a couple of kids who are sick, so I'm I'm home with them trying to Make stuff work. Yeah. Yeah, as you do. Yeah. So, all right. So we're talking about simplicity today. Um, and the first thing I'd love to talk to you about, it seemed like the theme of work um, and having good work to do came up a lot. Um, and I'd love to just spend a little bit of time there. Um, you said it is by our work that we are going to create from the reality of the world that will bring human flourishing. Um, so I'd love to talk about that theology of work um, and what good kingdom, works, kingdom work looks like, um, as well as touching a little bit on um, discontentment in our jobs and like how can we tell the difference between I'm discontent in my job because I'm not doing good work and I'm discontent in my job because like maybe I just want more significance, sort of like how you talked about on Sunday. Mm. Just mm. swim around in there. Oh man. I, I think that work is something we haven't talked enough about. It's this massive part of our life. Mm -hmm. and often it's just kind of treated like this background noise yeah. when you're you're going to spend more time with the people at work than you are with your family in a given week. And it's, it's who you are and it's what you do. And it's, um, it's so important. And in a lot of ways, the church has just said, oh, alongside your work, we have all this extra we want you to do. But work has been, from the very beginning, a part of our existence. Even bef before the fall and sin came along, 
there was work that God had for Adam and Eve in the garden, particularly two, two types of work. One is the work of discovery. Like we're, we're meant to discover the way God has created the world. That's why he tells us to name all the animals. That work is to go about and discover. And we're still doing it. Actually, we still are naming animals here, you know, however many thousands or hundreds of thousands a year later, later yeah. we're still animals. And I think that's fundamentally about like God literally put everything we need on this planet. And our work is meant to take our energy and our resources and our time and leverage it to turn the raw material of this earth into human flourishing. Mm -hmm. and so any work that does that is good work, period. It doesn't need to have some sort of, uh, you know, we, we like the idea of a job. And this is such a, like a modern Western thought, but we like the idea of a job that makes lots of money, gives me flexibility for my time, and allows me to do work that is significant beyond just providing for my family. Like we, we want work that's like, it hits everything. And there's almost no jobs in the world that do that. Like it is a tiny, tiny percentage of jobs because of the fall in Genesis 3. The fall created toil and work and work that is unnecessary. And there's all this work we do that has nothing to do with flourishing. It has everything to do with greed and right. has everything with um, our, our other theme this week, which is simplicity. And we work more than we need to to have more stuff than we need so that we feel safe right. and so like work is so intimately tied so i'd say when you're thinking about like discontent in your work your discontentment with your work probably has i think about 70 to 80 percent of the time has nothing to do with the work it has mm -hmm. everything to you yeah now there's 30 percent of the time where you have toxic environments of work you have bosses who are difficult or problematic um, or even abusive and sometimes you're doing work that is not good work there are kinds of work that are not good work mm -hmm. uh, anytime that you are exploiting yourself or others for profit is itself bad work because it's not it doesn't bring about human flourishing it brings about human diminishment so you know the the obvious ones are <laughs> Um, illegal, you know, in most places where, you know, sex trafficking, it's work, but it's not good work. Yeah. <laughs> you may be discontented with it because it's bad work. Um, but even, you know, a lot of times sales positions are themselves not good work. Um, now, there are good sales positions where you're fulfilling a role of serving your client by helping them discover what they need. But there's lots of bad sales positions that have to do with exploiting um, limited knowledge to um, to use your your customers rather than serve your customers, and that's where there's like a not a good exchange of value. So I I think there's a lot to unpack there. We probably need to do a series on work, but that's kind of a starting point. Yeah, that's great. Um, can you? So if we are in a spot where it's like I'm just discontent in my work, um, how do we start? What are some things we can do to start practicing? contentment like is there anything practical that's like these will help the shift mm -hmm. well i think starting with and this is going to sound so trite but it really isn't like thankfulness is yeah. the beginning 
Like mm -hmm. seeing the fact that you have a job that provides for you is something that about a third of people on earth don't have. Right. A big chunk of love to work and aren't able to because of physical disabilities or because of economic realities. And so we start with saying work itself is a gift. Work is something that we want to receive from God and do because it's something that he's provided through, through work for our flourishing. And so I, I think that's a starting point. The second piece is recognize that work can't fulfill you. If you're looking to answer all the questions about your identity, about your worth in the world, about where you belong, work was never meant to do that. Work was yeah. meant to engage some of your usefulness for providing for you and your family. And then beyond that, it's just work. And a lot of times people are overworking and putting their identity and, and all this passion into a job that can't ever provide what they're looking for, that they really need to find family. They really need to find in serving their neighbors in avocational ways. So instead of vocation, avocation is like beyond, beyond pay and the transaction of work. I want to work in a way that brings good around me that doesn't have an economic uh, trade-off. So, so I think those are kind of the pieces. Stop asking so much job and be really thankful for what you do have. And then trust that God is going to use where you're at to prepare you for a job that may bring a little bit more fulfillment and maybe a little bit um, better ways for you to use your gifts in the future. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so going on to in that idea of using your gifts, using the things that God has given us. I want to talk about stewardship a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I know, so you had mentioned, you talked a little bit about um, stewarding as opposed to domination um, of the earth in general. Um, but I'd love to go there um, and how, just hear you talk about how we can distinguish between the earth being there to provide for us and the earth being there for our gain. Um, in with that, you talked about it in connection with our appetites. Um, so how that idea of stewardship connects to appetites and then why does, why does it matter? Why does the way we interact with the earth matter? Um, man, I, when I read this question earlier, I was, I was thinking about like how complex of a question this is because we, we understand so little about what the earth can and can't handle <laughs> like what what mm -hmm. what we do are, are good and bad and it, it feels like every generation what we were told to do before um, feels reversed later where you know science continues to learn more about the way that we interact with the planet and the cost that our choices have towards it and so i i think that this is this is more of a posture than it is um a scientific understanding of how how the earth works and so so for me when i talk about stewardship i'm thinking about best and highest use that's the term that we use in in real estate and in business when you look at sort of asset or property you ask what's its best and highest use and so when i'm looking around at um a piece of land i'm looking at the stuff in my house the question should be is this the stuff that i need is the best and highest use for my used clothes to sit in a box and disintegrate in my closet, or is this best and highest use to be given away or to be, you know, recycled for its cotton or whatever the future of it is? That's the question is, what's its highest and best use? And 
if you look at our planet in lots of ways, um, we have very little control over um, much of, of, of our planet, including our atmosphere. I think that we imagine that we have control over climate change, but there aren't good real options of how, uh, of how we can deal with even the human effects of climate change because we've extracted, you know, hundreds of billions of pounds of uh, CO2 from the ground and turned it into atmospheric CO2. Um, now, at the same time, we have like nearly, we, we've seen a, a repair of the ozone layer and the hole in the ozone layer above the poles of Earth that we saw 30 years ago from CFCs that were in the air. So I, I think that we, we just don't understand very much. And the way that we should think about it is um, I need to... I need to conserve the resources in the state that they are because they may be meant for somebody else later. And mm. so I, I shouldn't unnecessarily use anything. I yeah. shouldn't take anything that's not immediately useful for me or for my family to flourish. Um, and, that, and then beyond that, when we talk about simplicity, the question that we should ask is, does this, does this thing that I need to have or think that I need to have, does it actually create enough good for its economic cost like how much money does it cost me and my family there's lots of objects around my house that aren't worth what they cost they literally just become these things in my house that i deal with until i throw them away right and then you have the long-term cost and i talked a little bit on sunday like every single plastic that we bring into our homes thrown away and has this half-life of fifteen thousand years as microplastics that you know some will filter into our water um, and, and so like having just the thoughtfulness about the way that we interact. Now, a lot of people go to a, an, a legalistic view of how do, how do we engage in this world? And they think that we have, to, we have to protect the planet from each other. And so it requires this um, culture war mentality around meat. And um, like there's this whole group of virtues that um, environmentalists have created that they demand that others adhere to. Now, I think some of them are worthwhile. I think a lot of them aren't. And the question is, what's what's a truthful, fair way for me to exist in the world that's reasonable? Hi, Elsie. Say hi. Um, you slept for like half an hour. Ooh. Good job. <laughs> She's homesick. I made her take a nap. Oh, I yeah. want to take a nap. So does that answer your question? I, yeah. The answer know but I, I know when I'm being a good steward because I care it's much more about intentionality than it is about even right. knowledge or, or right knowledge. yeah like what you said about like the posture that that seems to hit it on the head right because it's just yeah. about how how we see the thing and choose to interact with it rather than like here's some rules but it's more about like do I need this why do I feel like I need this? What am I going to do with it? Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's like, do I have this thing to bring me power, pleasure, or um, influence? Or do I have this thing to bless and serve others? And that's a better gauge than even that. Yeah, that's great. Um, so along, that's a good segue to the next thing I wanted to talk about. Um, you asked the questions at the end. Um, you said, will it connect? Will, 
my practice, my decision, um, connect me with others or isolate me from them? Will it connect me with God or isolate from him? Um, and there's just so much, I think, in there that I just have never thought about before in connection with simplicity um, mm -hmm. and how, like, our decisions to be, to practice simplicity um, can cultivate a connection with other people. Um, and it seems to be like an underlying theme of so much of Jesus's teachings that we just don't often talk about. Mm. Um, so I'd love to hear you talk more about those questions and then adopting that posture again of connection with God and our neighbor when we're thinking about simplicity. Oh. This may seem like a, um, like a, a non sequitur, but what, when we think about simplicity and we think about the stuff that we have and how it connects us with other people, um, one of the things that Jesus did and that God did through Jesus, which is astounding that we probably don't talk about enough, is that Jesus came into the world as a baby with all need and nothing to give away. Mm-hmm. Like he, he took this posture of complete dependence on his mother and his family to provide for his safety, security, and food for the first 15 years of life, you know? Right. And that's, when you think of the God of the universe doing that, and when we look at Philippians 2 and that idea of humbling himself to the point of not just, not just death, but just like condescending himself to become human was, yeah. You know, he let this mortal woman change his diaper. Um, yeah. You know, you look at a, you look at a human adult, and when they have to have their diapers changed in their old age, that the indignity of that is almost overwhelming. And so, imagine the king of creation going into that. And when you look at Jesus's ministry, he does the same thing again. What does he do? He sets aside his ability to provide for himself so that he will be in need when he engages with the lost children of Israel. Hmm. Now, this is an important thing that we miss too often is that Jesus himself connected himself with others by allowing them to serve him. Yeah. We, Christians, our job is to, is to have lots of wealth and have lots of stuff and have lots of strength and have lots of energy and have lots of time so that we can be in a position of power to help others. But that's not the way that our rabbi did his disciple making. His disciple making was him giving people access by allowing them to care for him in like th them caring for him connected them to him. Right. And he, I think I see this. You see this when he sends out his disciples and challenges them to receive the hospitality of the people in the towns where they go, those people of peace in their life. They mm -hmm. said that they're mercy and then in that mercy of the of those who provide the hospitality, they demonstrate that they're God fears and they also desire connection with these needy missionaries. And in today's missionary world, what we do is we 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 give them we raise a hundred thousand dollars a year so that they can go and have everything that they need there. And I think oftentimes that's a an alienating force. And so, so when we're thinking about simplicity, our thought should be, if I have this thing, who will that cut out of my life? Because every tool in my house 
that I have is going to keep me from asking my neighbor Gary to borrow it. And I'm guilty. He's got lots of tools and it's easier for me to own it than to borrow it. And so I own it instead. And that disconnects me from my neighbor. Yeah. Um, this happens all the time with even uh, childcare and the things that we need help with around our house. So like, I choose, I choose to have a neighbor kid mow my lawn rather than mow it myself. Mm-hmm. Partly because it just is going to get done. But a big part is I want to be connected with Brock, who's my neighbor. He's one of our wildlife kids, and I want to have a regular connection point with him. Yeah. And so my need allows him to care for me, and that care cre- creates connection. Now, we want to make sure that that's not exploitative and that's not me. Right using my wealth to get something, but choosing to pay teenagers to be a part of my life is a powerful way to do discipleship that I think that we miss out on sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, and then wealth, like we talked about wealth, wealth is this, it, it makes us think that we're autonomous when in fact we're deeply in need of connection with one another, with God. So we have to fight this constant desire to, to set aside um, our, our autonomy and our power of ourself and our time. And instead of doing the easy thing, which is stopping by rent by Tate's rents and renting a tool, it requires me to think ahead and to call somebody I know to ask around and to get connected with somebody. So point, point in question this week, um, my, my friend, Joe, who is your friend as well, he hears about your need for a washer and dryer. Right. And same time, tells some people that he knows that he's looking for that and our mutual friend um jason his dad lives next door to a guy who's just getting rid of basically a brand new washer and dryer like a four thousand dollars set of washer and dryers and because you let people in on your need and because joe paid attention all of a sudden it connected six people together Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. bill's neighbor Bill, who helped disconnect it, move it, and reconnect it. Joe and I, who moved it to your house. Your cousin and you and your roommate. All of a sudden, there's this, like, together we're caring for this thing that's going to provide value to your roommates for years to come. And that's when we start to see our need actually connects us rather than separates us. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I think that whole idea of letting people serve you is so huge and something that I I truly have like never heard before until probably like the last year. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really, it's so true. And I even just like, yeah, like you said, with the washer and dryer, it's amazing. And it just, it's never something that we talk about very much. It's embarrassing and it makes you feel vulnerable. Yeah. And it's vulnerability of need that actually creates connection. And mm-hmm. we, we, we really hate vulnerability because it, it makes us feel unsafe. When in reality, when God provides for that through others, it makes us feel connected and safe like we live in a village that was meant. Yeah, yeah, that's good. All right, so I think we have time for like one more question. Um, so sure. we'll wrap up here um, after this one. So you, uh, it's funny the way you introduced 
this this value you are like okay this is gonna suck um which is really true because i think we all have that like sort of squirmy feeling when we hear about simplicity um and jesus is like sell your possessions give them to the poor we're all like oh no um but i would love to talk about like how we can read that response that we have um like for example i feel so generally my my response is like I go on the defensive and I'm like, well, here are five reasons why I can't do that. Um, and my reasons are good. And so I'm just like, not going to worry about it. Cause I have like these good excuses. Um, but I know for everybody it's, it can be something else that comes up, but how, like, what do we do with those feelings that come up in us when we hear this teaching? Um, and like, what can a curiosity about our feelings uh, tell us about, maybe like things that we're believing as mm. opposed to what Jesus is teaching. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I, I think that's exact. Like you just gave the prescription there, which is <laughs> pay attention, be curious about what you're feeling. And, and underneath, underneath those feelings are deep lies that have embedded themselves in our values. And until we unlodge them, they're going to rule over us. And so, so most people, when they read these passages about Jesus' demands for um, a really light connection between us and our stuff, that's really what it comes down to is, like, we, we have to not identify as our stuff is our stuff, but yeah. that only entrusted to us and that it's meant for other people a lot of the times. And um, immediately we feel defensive because our cultural values we're betraying our cultural values and this is like as as deep as not just uh not just cultural values of consumerism but cultural values of capitalism where we believe that stuff and and stuff equals um ease like this everything we have creates some sort of ease they're tools for comfort or for pleasure or for work and so we, we need to see all of our stuff in terms of like, it's about comfort. Yeah. And when we're thinking about like our relationship with stuff to take those things away is to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Like to even imagine the idea of giving up my things makes me uncomfortable because those are the things that bring me comfort. Mm -hmm. right. And the primary lie there is that the stuff is there to provide for you the safety and comfort that you need not that God himself provided all of those things in the past and that he will provide what you need today and he will provide what you need tomorrow. Mm -hmm. That's why that we have to exchange. We have to repent of a belief that there's not enough and that there won't be enough in the future and that I must hoard what I have today so that I have enough there. I have to let go of that belief this scarcity mentality and grab hold of this abundance mentality that says that God himself has everything that we need, need, not want, need, yeah. not demands, need, not desire, um, what we need. And when we, when we grab hold of this belief that God has what we need, then tomorrow is assured. So I don't need to hold on to what I have today. Mm -hmm. Open handedly give away what I have because I trust that God will provide for my need in the future. And this is so easy to talk about in comparison to like what it costs, but right. every 
single act of generosity in your life is the only time that you actually know that you trust God. Hmm. You don't know that you trust God until you give up something that you think is the only way you're going to provide for yourself. And it's, and once you give it away, you go, you know what, when I did that, I trusted God. And that's why, like we talk about stewardship and we talk about giving and it has, honestly, it has nothing to do with Redemption Hill. God is going to provide for Redemption Hill, no matter if you give or not. We're not worried about that. We yeah. see it as mentally. You need to live generously because your soul's at stake. Yeah. This, this is literally the, how you know that you trust God is, that's, that's why, you know, you were at that housing symposium with me yesterday. And we talked about how hospitality is the mark of the kingdom because yeah. hospitality demonstrates that you trust that God will provide for your safety, for your security, and for your for your food. And when we open up our home or we open up our wallet or we open up our our, uh, our dinner table to others, we're making this radical statement to the world that the God of the universe cares for me and he mm -hmm. will me and I'm going to be okay. And so, so I think that they're so intimately connected, like that, that lie of I don't have enough and God will provide. That's what we have to exchange constantly as those things are happening inside of us. Mm -hmm. All the time. Yeah, that's like a daily, that's why we, so we have to open up our hands every day is just to remember it's not our stuff. Mm, yeah. yeah. Well, and it's so, it's so funny how that it just really comes in about all sorts of things, but it's always kind of that same, it's that same lie that's always like, well, did God really say that he was going to provide for you? Like in this area, how about this one? I, like all the God really said, yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I think we'll wrap it up there. And yeah. there's anything you'd like to say before we go. I don't know who all's on. Good to see everybody. Uh, yeah, thanks everybody for tuning in. There's some good amount of people yeah, that came for us. Yeah, if you got any questions um, and we can we can like add it on the comments for the video. Yeah. Absolutely. Um Two logistical questions going forward. Um, yeah. You talked about end a borrowing library for people who don't know what that is. What is that? Well, so we started one um, on our old website and we need to kind of update its functionality, but a, a borrowing library is just, we create a list of the things that God's entrusted to us and tell the community, come borrow it. And oh, so cool. So we, we make a list and with with uh, connection and contact information. Mm -hmm. So when you need a rototiller, you call the person who has a rototiller, you know? Yeah. I think, I'm trying to remember how I borrowed it from last. I, I don't remember. But yeah, like you, 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 you borrow stuff. And then the other one is we have a, a no-buy group on Facebook that anybody can join. And it's just a way for us to take the stuff that we're not using anymore and take care of our community and make sure that it doesn't get thrown away unnecessarily just because it's a little bit difficult for us to find somebody to use it. We want to, we want to be more. Cool. Great. Yeah. Well, that was really good. And then one more question about pray, the praying things happening Sundays. Um, is it praying every week at eight with Christina or is it at your house? I wasn't clear. So, so we're moving. Yeah. There's two, two things happening. One is we're, we have moved one of our elder meetings to Sunday evenings once a month. 
and that's an open time to gather for prayer or for like laying hands on healing. And so we want anybody who wants to come to receive healing and prayer um, or to just pray alongside the elders for the needs of the community. That's happening on the fourth Sunday of the month at my house at eight o'clock. <clears throat> and then the other piece is um, for the next 40 days, as we are considering our future, we, we're not going to be at Boise Friends long term. They're pushing us out by December, it looks like. And so we really need to find a new place. And so for the next 40 days, our community is going to be listening to God and praying together on Sunday evenings and then fasting. And so that's going to be on Zoom with the exception of this week. It will be in person because okay. we're going to for this Sunday. And then the rest of the weeks will be on Zoom at redemptionboise.org slash Zoom or slash prayer. Sorry. Okay, great. Yep. Sounds yep. good. Thank you. I just was like, oh, I don't think I was totally clear about it. And I wanted to make sure that there weren't any more questions. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for, for yeah. reminding me about that. All no right. problem. All right. Well, we'll see, see you. Later. Bye, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org slash connection, where you can fill out the connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at redemptionboise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.